Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning everyone, how are we doing? Good, good, well... Uh, For anyone who doesn't know me this morning, my name's Chris. I say this morning, my name's always Chris. Um, Yes, my name's Chris. I'm a part of the team here uh, at Life Community Church. Normally, you'll probably hear me before you see me because I'm playing the drums in the worship team, which is a a great privilege. And it was great to see Dom playing this morning as well. So uh, let's give it up to to the worship team this morning. Well, I hope we're all well this morning, that we're enjoying this bank holiday weekend. So far, I, I say that actually, I was going to say it's been dry, it's not been wet this weekend, but it has actually this morning. Somehow I managed to dodge it, I think, coming in. It was dry the whole way in, then I parked up, and it looks like it's been tipping it down around here. So, Who knows? Who knows? Well, who here knows that the Bible says that better is one day in its courts than thousands elsewhere? Better is one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. Right now, on Sunday the 26th of May, at what time is it now? 11.26. I can honestly say there is no place that I would rather be than right here. Right here, right now. Because right here, there is power. Right here, there is a chance for change. There is potential for change and for a fresh start. Many of us here today have already known about this power. Many of us have experienced this power, this fresh start. Many of us have been singing about this power this morning. This power has a name. Can anyone tell me what the name of this power is? Jesus, exactly. The name is Jesus, and he is here with us today. For just a few moments, I need some help. I want to get your guys' uh, opinions, some thoughts from yourselves. When I say the word miraculous, what comes to mind? Shout some things out to me. I'm going to write them on the board here. Jesus. Jesus. Great. When I say miraculous, what comes to mind? Instant. Instant. Great. Anything else? Straight Straight away. Supernatural. New start, thank you very much Wayne, that's great. Anyone else? Unheard of, brilliant. Just a couple more. Guidance, brilliant, yes. And love, superb. Excellent. All of those are some fantastic, brilliant, brilliant thoughts on what miraculous means. And today we're going to be looking at many of those. Today I'm going to be talking about miraculous and what it looks like today for us. We're going to be talking and spending some time wondering and thinking about the miraculous. The dictionary definition of the miraculous, though, is, is this. It is that, I'll try and remember, it was that it's something that is inexplicable by science or by logic. The miraculous is inexplicable by science or logic. It cannot be explained by science or logic. In one sense, as the church, now that's, we're talking capital C church, nationwide, globally, in one sense, as the church, we're in the middle of a miracle right now. Several weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated and gathered together to remember 
the day that God died. We remember the day that Jesus was captured, that he was beaten, that he was eventually executed on the cross. And we remember the day that he rose again from the empty tomb. But how many of us here know that that wasn't the end? That's not the end of the story. The story goes on beyond that. Because in, in two weeks' time as a church, we celebrate what's known as Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is the birthday of the church. Pentecost Sunday is the day that the church received power on high to go out and perform its mission. It's the day that we remember when God equipped his people that were called by his name to go and serve him in all the world. The miracle of Easter was crowned by the glory of Pentecost. And the signal of this was sent out across all of the heavens to say that now is the time for the church to wake up, to rise up, and to go and fulfill its manifest destiny. The miraculous doesn't always appear as we might expect it. As we have here on here, some of these, it's supernatural. It doesn't appear exactly as we expect it. In the Bible, we read several accounts of the miraculous. We read accounts where the miracles stand out. And in many cases, they shaped the very nations. In the Old Testament, we read where God stopped the sun in the sky so that he could win a battle for his people. In the New Testament, we read about the Apostle Paul bringing a young child back to life for the glory of God. But by definition, as we've already looked at, the miraculous is an event or occurrence that's inexplicable by science and nature. Now, some of these things we can look back on and think, well, maybe we can explain that with science now. But that's not how God works. That's not necessarily then miraculous. Miraculous is that it's inexplicable by science. You see, not many of you will know this about me. I'm going to be honest now. I really struggle with anxiety and with nerves. So my miracle today is actually being able to stand up here today. I don't know what the miracle for you is today. Well, I don't know what your miracle is. Maybe your... Thank you. Every Sunday when I come to play drums, uh, <laughs> every Sunday, I play drums now for what feels like almost every Sunday for eight years, and uh, but every time before I come and sit on the drums, I get so nervous. I'm there shaking away, planning, thinking. So if ever you see me on a Sunday morning, I tend to sit here at Perch there, and I'm just, just thinking through the songs. It's me preparing myself, getting ready for it. Even today, really, really quite nervous. Um, but I don't know what your miracle is. Maybe you're in need of a touch from God in your lives. Maybe you're going through a breakdown in a relationship. Maybe you need help and a touch from God in your finances. Maybe work is looking, let's say it's on rocky grounds at the moment. Maybe you're in need of a touch of God in your life. That could be your miraculous. If you have your Bibles with you today, why don't you turn with me? Uh, we're going to have a look at two accounts. Uh, they will be on the screen as well uh, if you don't have a Bible, so don't worry. We're going to look at two accounts from the Old Testament this morning, but we're going to read them with New Testament eyes. 
The first account we want to look at is 2 Kings 13, verses 14 to 19. It says this. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he eventually died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Now that'll make a bit more sense in just a moment, so don't worry. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Now shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Because out of context, that's a bit of an odd story. There doesn't necessarily seem to be much miraculous going on there. When we look at this passage, when we study it, King Jehoash was not a good king. If we were to read just before the first verse in that section, we read that actually King Jehoash did evil in the sight of God. And as a punishment for his wrongdoing, God sent the Arameans to make war and raid the lands of Israel. The account picks up where a desperate king comes before the man of God. A desperate king, fearful for his life, fearful for his family, fearful for his nation, comes before God. The one thing left for him to try, the one thing left that he has that could turn this situation around. And there's a few lessons I think we can learn from this. A few lessons I want to pick up from this account. And I I think once we pick them up, we can apply them to our own lives. So lesson number one is this. It's not until all hell breaks loose that Jehoash comes before God. I don't know about you, but what's your relationship with God like? Are we completely reliant on God for everything? Do we come before him offering up everything to God? Or are we like Jehoash where our relationship with God is like a 999 emergency call. Something's going wrong. Ah, oh, what do I do? What can I do? What can I do? Last case resort, go to God. Because that's exactly what King Jehoash does. All of his life, Jehoash had been the it's my way or the highway kind of guy. He'd lived the lifestyle of what I say goes. It's my, my life. I'm, I'm going to live it. And when the consequences came up for living that way, he dealt with them. Because consequences will come up for that, but he he dealt with them. Whatever that was, whether it was by might or by wealth or the army, whatever the issue was, King Jehoash was able to deal with it. He was the man. He was the man with the plan. He continued to allow the idolatry of his nation 
to continue to, to live and to grow and to take root in his people. The Bible tells us that the nation of Israel itself was corrupt. It was doing evil in the sight of God. It even tells us that he perpetuated the sins of his father. Not only did, did he do wrong, but it was generational. His father had done wrong, and his father's father had done wrong, and it had just gone down and down on a downward spiral, like on a slippery slope, until we find Jehoash finally on his knees, coming before God, desperate. What's our relationship like with God? Is it only when we're really in trouble that we dial up to heaven and ask God to intercede? It's worth noting that God doesn't withhold his blessing if, if that is how we, how we respond to God. If that's where we're at at the moment in our relationship with God, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. God doesn't withhold blessing upon you for that. To be honest, it's great that you do have a relationship with God at all, that you do feel like you can come before him in that case. Fantastic. But I want to assure you that there's more. God has more for your life. God has more in store for your relationship with him. He wants to bless us. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless Israel. And he wants to show his might. And so Elisha, the man of God, begins to work the miraculous to save the nation of Israel. So that's lesson number one from this account. What's your relationship with God? What, what style of relationship do you have? Are we like with Jehoash? It's only when all hell breaks loose that we turn to God. Lesson number two. Faith in the familiar. In this account, Elisha requires two steps. The first one is that something that would have been familiar to Jehoash. Jehoash was looking for a military intervention. Remember, he was in a position where the Arameans were invading his nation. His country, his army had been destroyed. That's why he mentions the chariots and horsemen of Israel. They've been destroyed. The army has been crushed. He has nothing left. Jehoash was a military man looking for a military response. You could even say a maybe you couldn't even say a military miracle. Gosh, that's a lot harder to say than I thought it would be. And God worked it through a military method. Jehoash had no problem following this first step. Grab a bow, Elisha says. So being the man that he is, Jehoash grabs, he picks up a bow, not a problem at all. Grabs some arrows and he grabs them. He's familiar with this. He knows what he's doing. He's happy. He's comfortable with this. Open a window and shoot. Not a problem at all. Fires an arrow out of the window. Absolutely fine. And then Elisha moves into the slightly more weird. A little bit more strange. Pick up the arrows, he says, and strike the ground. And this is where things start to go wrong for Jehoash. He picks up the arrows and he begins to strike. But he doesn't see anything happening for this. At least in the first instance, shooting the arrow, he knows what's to come from that. He, does, he shoots the arrow and he's aware of what's going to happen with that. With this, he's not sure what trying to, what's happening. Nothing seems to be coming from this. 
and so he stops. He tries to take back control of the situation. As a result, as a result of him trying to take control, Jehoash, uh, sorry, Elisha proclaims that Jehoash will only defeat the Arameans three times. And if you look at history of that account now as well, he does. Only three times are the Arameans defeated by the Israelites. Take up the arrows and strike the ground. Jehoash picks up the remaining arrows and strikes the ground three times. As a result, Aram will be defeated and Israel will be saved from destruction, but only three times. Now let's pause for just a moment. And let's gather some perspective. A desperate, terrified king comes before the man of God. He's, not, he's out of place. He's like a square peg in a round hole. He doesn't fit in this situation. Jehoash is not the man for this job. He's a military leader. He's a king. And suddenly he finds himself way, way out of his depth. Desperate and terrified for his life, and as we've looked at before, for the life of his family and probably for the lives of his people, he comes back to God and asks for a miracle. But it's right at this last minute that he tries to take back control. He strikes the ground once, no effect. Twice, still no effect. He's beginning to think this, mm, what's happening here, it's a little bit strange. Three times, still no effect. So he stops. He stops. Remember, he'd, uh, Elisha had already declared that he would defeat the Arameans. That victory was already won. It had already been proclaimed when he shot the arrow out of the window. The immediate need for Jehoash had been met. The army that was surrounding him, that was coming down, bearing down on the Israelites at that exact moment, that was already defeated. The man of God had already declared that. Jehoash was now looking for a future. He was now looking for a future blessing for his people. See, that's another thing to learn from. We don't know the eternal consequences of our obedience today. Because Jehoash tried to take back control, Jehoash limited the blessing and the favor of God. The victory was only secured for three more battles. See, I don't know about you, but whatever the miracle is that I'm in or that you're in today, I don't ever want to be the kind of person that limits God's ability in my life. I don't ever want to be in that position where God is restricted to only do what I give him control of. I want to be the person who says, God, you can have it all. God, have your way in my life. And when I say that, I mean have it all. I don't say I mean have it all except for this little bit. This little bit's for me. This little bit is just mine. No one else gets to see this. God, have it all. Take everything. Do what you need with that. I promise you, if you're like me in that situation where you say, have it all, God has got so much more for you in your life. The second passage I want to look at today, again, is found in the life of Elisha. And again, if you have your Bibles, why not turn to 2 Kings chapter 4? Again, it'll be on the, uh, on the screen in just a moment. 
It says this. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went to the man of God and said, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Again, another account of the miraculous. In this account, we see a woman, once again, desperate and down on her luck, on her last hope. Her husband has passed away. And from what we read of, he had some kind of debt. We don't know what that is, but he has a debt. And she's, he's passed away, leaving his wife to pay this debt. And the creditors are now set to take her sons into slavery to pay that debt. Aren't you glad we don't have that sort of situation anymore? As I say, we're not sure entirely what kind of debt this is, but in doing so, By taking away her sons, they'd affect this woman in multiple ways. Obviously, she wouldn't have her sons anymore. Secondly, there'd be no household income left. So she'd be probably, by the end of the week, homeless. She'd have no food left. She'd be left uh, desolate and probably cast out of the village as well in which she was living in. It wouldn't just crush the family, but it would crush her as well. Her husband, it says, was part of the prophetic order. So the household was one of faith and of loyalty to God. They knew what to expect. They knew that God was at work in the nation and in their lives. They knew that God was real in their lives. And she comes to Elisha and asks God to intervene. Unlike King Jehoash we see that her relationship with, with God is one of faith and of trust. And as soon as trouble arises, she comes before the man of God and asks for the miracle. She knows that there's nothing that she can do to fix this situation, but God can always bring something out of nothing. See, the man of God then asks her, what do you have? And she responds, I know it's not much, but I only have a jar of oil. I only have a little, but that's what I have. The woman could have discounted the oil as inconsequential, and she would have missed out on what God was about to do. You see, God can always do 100% more with our little than with our nothing. No matter what it is, if we're willing and ready to give it over to God, God can do infinitely more with our little than he can with our nothing. 
And that's lesson number one from our account. From this account, sorry. This woman was willing to give it all. In spite of her little, she knew that she, when she was down to nothing, God is up to something. Maybe today you're in need of a miracle in your lives. As we've said, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your work, maybe it's in your family or your relationships in your life. Maybe you're in need of the miraculous. The man of God in this account would ask, what do you have in your hand and are you willing to sacrifice it all? Lesson number two is simply this, live the church or live church as I've called it on the, on the slides there. You see, God has called us together as the church, a community of believers gathered together to worship and to serve and to glorify God. The word church originally, there's a bit of historically some dodgy translations at some point between German and Greek and all that, but originally it it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means gathered or called out ones. The church have been called out from the world and set apart for a holy purpose we're designed to be a community church is a relationship with the person sat on your left and right turn to the person to your left and right I'm not going to ask you to do anything or say anything weird or anything but together we are the church we are called out community I see a couple of people looking at the walls as well as a family we've been called out and set aside for a purpose we're designed to be a community and this is where we get our second lesson from if you're in the middle of the miraculous you don't need to be alone you don't need to be alone as a church we're together for a purpose we want to stand with you And in your celebrations, in your mourning, in your grieving, in your praying. We want to stand with you in your celebrating. We want to pray with you. In the account, the woman sends sends out to the village and asks a whole town to help her in this situation. Elisha says, go out to your neighbours and ask them for pots. The whole, everyone in the village will have known the situation this woman was facing. Everyone would have known this is the last chance saloon for her. So when this command comes, they will have been more than ready, more than willing to step up and help out with this. And this is exactly like the church. Are we all willing to stand together and help each other in the, when we're in the middle of the miraculous? The woman called on the community around her and they answered the call. Once every resource had been used up, the oil ceased flowing and the miracle came to a close. See, I don't know what's brought you to church this morning. I don't know what everyone is experiencing in their lives at the moment, but I want to commend the church to you. This whole church, this family that we call Life Community Church, we want to be there for you. We want to stand with you as you're celebrating. We want to stand with you as you're praying. As we've said, whether it's family, whether it's finance, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, let us stand with you, please. Can we do that for you? 
Perhaps, like me, there's certain aspects in life that you struggle with. By standing together, by praying together, we can make a difference. Dave's already mentioned them today, but we have the connect cards on the seats. Fantastic little ways for us to stand together as a church, to share what's going on in our lives. A, little, a simple prayer request or a praise report. Such a great way just for us as a church to stand together with you. And as we begin to wrap this message up today, uh, and if the band can come join once again, uh, I want to do a quick recap on uh, the lessons from today. What is your connection that you have with God today? Do you have that 999 emergency call relationship? Or are you more a forever reliant on God sort of relationship? Are you trusting him in all things? Or does it take all hell to break loose before you come to him? Are you fully submitting to God, unlike Jehoash? Or do you become, sorry, are you fully submitting to God or... Unlike Jehoash, do you come before God, giving him full control? But do you like to try and maintain a hand in the game? Don't ever be afraid to give God everything. As we've already said, he can do infinitely more with our little than he can with our nothing. What do you have in your hands? What is it that you've got that you can give over to God? I'm going to pray now, and uh, as, we, as we close this, why don't we just uh, all close our, close our eyes for just a moment. Lord God, I thank you that, that you've called us together, Father, that we are your church, Father, that we are your family. Lord God, I thank you that you're at work in our lives, Father, that, that you've got so much more for us ahead in, our, in your plans. And Lord God, for those of us here today who, who need a miracle, maybe we need a touch from heaven in our lives. Father God, I pray would you do that. Lord God, as we come before you, Father God, we come before you fully submissive. We give you control, Father God. And Lord, we say, would you have your way? Father God, would you have your way in our lives? Thank you, Father. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.